Now, we don't normally think of stewarding our influence as something being uh, important to us, but think about it for a moment. When you leave this planet, what are you going to leave behind you? I mean, uh, you will probably leave behind you some money. You won't get a chance to spend all of it before you go. Uh, It may not be much. Uh, You might leave behind some property. Uh, But really, that's not going to have much of an impact. Those things are really not going to be the impact that you make upon your life. But the influence that you have over people and the influence that you're being exerted can exert upon people, that is something precious. Let me read you just uh, the introduction Paul Chapel gives uh, to this chapter. He says, My grandmother is one of the most remarkable women I know. She married my granddad when she was just 16, and together they cleared a ranch in southwest Colorado and developed a bean farm that has become a cherished part of our family legacy. Today, grandmother has experienced much through her 93 years. Born shortly after the turn of the century, she saw the Second World War and the Great Depression. She knows the ins and outs of growing pinto beans through drought and raising a crop of kids in lean times. Yet even through the hardships, she possesses an infectious energy and joy that make her the most popular person in our extended family get-togethers. Last Thanksgiving, we enjoyed the rare privilege of celebrating with many relatives, my parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. It was a memorial memorable uh, afternoon and uh, following dinner everyone settled through the living room kitchen and family room to play talk shop or watch football i enjoyed a few quiet moments with my grandmother as she took in the scene paul she broke the silence i never cease to be amazed as i look around at all the people in this house and i think of the power of the gospel truly the scene in the house that thanksgiving could have been so different had it not been for the influence of one man several decades ago Uh, When grandmother's kids, my dad and aunts and uncles, were growing up on the ranch, a man by the name of Pop Kinney visited the house. He explained um, that he was with the American Sunday School Union and was holding a vacation Bible school for the kids in the rural area. My granddad had only been in one church service in his life, and people there told him he needed to be baptized to go to heaven. Later, he took a family member to a healing crusade, but the family member was apparently too sick. Security made sure that... that she never made it to the front of the line. From that day on, Grandad was disillusioned and thought all religion was pretty fake. But Pop Kinney was a different kind of a Christian than anyone Grandad had met before. He was bold in his witness, but kind in his demeanor, and he was not at all ashamed of the gospel. Pretty soon, Pop Kinney had all the chapel kids going to vacation Bible school. Toward the end of the summer, Pop Kinney held a Bible camp. My Aunt Arlene was the only one in the family old enough to attend, and that week she understood the gospel and trusted Christ as her Savior. Pop's bold witness moved motivated Arlene, and she returned home to announce her decision. In the days following, Arlene gathered her younger sisters and brothers into the bedroom to read them the Bible. Her brother, Uncle Steve, shared the details of the story with me. My granddad noticed the spiritual interest growing in the hearts of his children, and it stirred a hunger for truth in his own heart. He and a friend began to read and intently study the Bible together. Through studying the book of Romans, they understood the simple gospel of grace, and both of these men trusted Christ as their Savior. Eventually, each member of granddad's family was saved. But the story doesn't end there. After Grandad was saved, he became burdened for his neighbors. He visited others to uh, join him in Bible study, and that group blossomed into Goodman Point Baptist Church. 
Uh, once that church was established and had called a pastor, Grandad began Bible studies in another rural town, and soon another church was born. Before Grandad died, he had helped to plant three Baptist churches, including one as far from his farm as Moab, Utah. Thus, through the faithful ministry of just one man, Pop Kinney, an entire family was saved and three churches were planted. But that isn't all the end of the story, at, at all the end of the story. Not only were Grandad and Grandmother saved, but their children were saved, their children's children, including me, and even their children's children's children. Many from our extended family have been called into ministry, and through missions, church planting, and ministry training, have seen many more come to Christ. Conservatively counting, tens of thousands of people have been saved as a result of Pop Kinney's influence in my granddad's life. I doubt Pop Kinney had any idea how God would bless his influence when he first knocked on the kitchen door of a ranch home in southwest Colorado. But God used him to change generations for the glory of God. Now... The rest of the story is, uh, this man was an interesting character. He was no ordinary, um, you know, Sunday school worker. He was actually a farmer. And though uh, the chapel's grandfather had been turned off to religion by several other people, this man was so real and so there and so persistent and so bold in his witness that he won that family to the Lord. And tens of thousands have literally been affected by it. Now, here's the thing. It was the influence of one man's life that actually did it. That's your real legacy. The money you leave will be small. No matter how much it is, it's going to end up being small in its impact upon the world. The rest of what you leave is going to be small, but your influence and the influence you have uh, for good is going to be something powerful and something to be guarded very carefully. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look to your word. Help us, Lord, to recognize how important our influence is. And Lord, may it be that we glean from Scripture how we should hold on to it and how we should keep it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis 37, verses 1 through 8. I have it actually down for you there on your sheet. We're going to focus on the story of Joseph as we look at this tonight, right? So Genesis 37, 1 through 8. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Right? <clears throat> Joseph is going to be a man of great influence. Right? His influence is, is really incredible uh, in the extent of it. But <clears throat> do you realize you, you may never make it to being a Joseph? Right? You, you may never make it to be somebody that's recognized as having a huge influence. Yet, 
You can have a tremendous influence, and you will. Um, Everyone has the opportunity to influence for good or for evil. Do you realize that? That you're, you're influencing people in the right direction or in the wrong direction basically all the time. Uh, <clears throat> parents influence children. Uh, it's out of Timothy. You see it there in, your, in the box beside there. Second Timothy 1 verse 5 says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now, Timothy was Paul's sidekick, his son in the faith. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, Timothy's faith dwelt first in his mother and in his grandmother. So mother and grandmother together impacted the life of Timothy, and Timothy was huge. Uh, As far as Paul was concerned, as far as the New Testament is concerned. And parents, you may never have a greater influence than the influence that you have over your kids. In fact, they will carry your name and your influence into generations that you'll never see. They will, they will go places that you'll never go, and they will have an impact that you could never imagine. And one of the greatest influences that we have is our children. Now, it is strange to me, and I realize that we all get, get caught up on it, but we focus oftentimes much more on other things besides our children. We focus on ministry, we focus on work, we focus on making money, we focus on ourselves, we focus on all kinds of things, but we tend very often to focus on other things because we think they're more important than our children. And our children are probably the most important influence that we're going to have in the world. So... So if you're, if you're a parent, you have tremendous influence. If you're a mother with small children, listen, you have huge influence in somebody's life. <clears throat> what about your friends? Well, you have an influence in friends' lives, don't you? You can either influence them for good or you can influence them for bad. You can, you can have an impact on them for good. You can lift them up and help them or uh, you can influence them for bad. Uh, <clears throat> Henry Ward Beecher said this, the humblest individual exerts some influence either for good or evil upon others. What about teachers? You know, we were talking this morning about, uh, as we're getting ready for school opening, and teachers, the, the influence teachers can have. They, the influence uh, that a teacher can have is huge. Henry Adams said, a teacher affects eternity. He can never tell where his influence stops. Teachers have huge workers. I mean, <clears throat> you work with people. You know, you work for people. You work with people. You have people working for you. Whatever way, listen, you know what? Your influence can be huge. Leaders' uh, influence can be huge. You see, we all have influence. Nobody is without influence. The question before us really is, what are we doing with our influence? Are we using it for good? Are we using it for bad? Or are we just kind of passive about the whole thing? But we all have influence. Right now, Joseph has influence. But Joseph, in order to have influence, is going to have to go through some stuff. Don't you hate that? Don't you just wish, in your life at least, I mean, it might be fine for Joseph to go through all that he went through. That's fine for him. He needed that, right? But don't you wish, in your life, you could end up in Pharaoh's palace uh, from the word get-go? Wouldn't that that be the way you'd do it? Uh, You know, listen, haven't you suffered enough already? So if you could just make it into Pharaoh's palace, you'd be fine. Uh, No, Joseph had to go through some things uh, for his influence to be powerful. And so do you. And we do need to get to the place where we recognize, look, 
it's par for the course. All right? So he had some tests he had to go through. The first test Joseph went through is the test of persecution. That's the first blank there on your on your sheet. The test of persecution. Right? <clears throat> and we read it there. Joseph's brothers hate him. Now, why do they hate him? Why do Joseph's brothers hate him? Because he's the father's favorite. Now, had Joseph got anything to do with that? No. Oh, okay, listen, that wasn't him. Listen, if there's any fault, it was the father's fault. It wasn't Joseph's fault. Uh, he was the father's favorite. The father loved him. <clears throat> right? Um, why else did they hate him? In the passage we just read. Because what? Because of his dream. Now, what was his dream? Basically saying, which that they were bade to bow down to him. Now, listen, I wouldn't have appreciated if one of my brothers had a dream that told me I was going to bow down to them. I, you know, that, 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 that wouldn't have gone down well with me either, right? But let me ask you a question. Now, you know, you, you might say, "Well, Joseph was unwise to tell them," but you know. <clears throat> Listen, did Joseph invent the dream? No, it was a God thing. You know, this is a God thing in Joseph's life. Joseph was going to... And by the way, does it happen? Yeah. It happens just as God said it would happen. It's going to happen. It's all going to come about. So, really, Joseph has not done wrong here. You know, you know we, 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 we could say, well, he was unwise and he was proud. But, you know, listen, he really had something to tell. And he told it. He may have regretted for the rest of his life the fact that he told them. But the fact is that he actually had something to tell and he told them. So uh, he is hated because of this revelation. <clears throat> now, it was a prophetic dream and it was a proclaimed dream and Joseph actually went and, and, and he said it. Uh, Isaac Newton said this. He said, God gave the prophecies not to gratify man's curiosity by enabling them to foreknow things, but that <clears throat> after they were fulfilled, they might be interpreted by the event uh, and his own providence, not the interpreters, by, be thereby manifested to the world. Right? Do you think that when they ended up in Egypt, the boys remembered his dream? Do you think somebody said one day, this is his dream? It's happening. It was real. And what, what God was planning was, God was planning that he would get glory from that. That was a prophetic dream. Uh, and their hatred of the dream. Now, look at verse 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more they, uh, than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. That's a lot of hatred. They couldn't say a kind word to Joseph. Um, they, you know, every time they saw him, they just had a, you know, the, 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 the bitterness was rising in them, and, 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 and they wanted, they wanted, listen, they wanted to get him. Look at verse 11. Uh, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. His brother, so what he did was, he struck a chord of envy in his brother, in his brethren. Now listen, sometimes people will envy you, and it's nothing to do with you. You've done nothing wrong. You know, because somebody hates you doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong. You need to remember that. I, you know, if you do right sometimes, you're going to be hated. The Bible says all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, just be sure it's because you're being godly and not because you're being obnoxious. Right? Uh, you, you want to, you, when, when people don't like you because you're, you're godly, listen, that's fine. 
You may be envied. You know, you might be um, envied in the workplace. You make a suggestion. The boss takes on your suggestion. And all of a sudden you find somebody's treating you differently. They're envious because your suggestion was taken. Um, you know, you, you can be envied for all kinds of reasons. And understand that, listen, it's par for the course. What you've got to understand, though, is that it's part of the testing. How you respond to it is going to be a part of your influence. It's going to be part of you actually um, stewarding your influence. How do you respond to the way people treat you? You see, we have an inbuilt system inside of us. You treat me wrong, I'll treat you wrong. And it's fine, because you treated me wrong. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's not the way it's supposed to be for a Christian. For a Christian, they're supposed to not return evil for evil. They're supposed to return good for evil. A Christian is to bless when they're reviled. A Christian is to uh, seek to be a blessing, even with people that hurt them. They're to do where to do right. And... You know, when it comes to the discipline, the, the, the test of persecution, you've got to be in the place where you actually do right in spite of how other people treat you. You've got to be in the place where you do right uh, when people are treating you wrong. Right? Now, we don't have any account of Joseph retaliating in this at all. By the way, Joseph is a very interesting character because of all the characters in Scripture, we find that Joseph uh, never has anything recorded against him that's bad. He's really a type of Christ in that. Now, he wasn't perfect. We know he wasn't perfect because there's only one perfect uh, human being. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but Joseph, you know, we never have something that's recorded uh, about him. You know, but in verse 19, we see Joseph was, was ridiculed. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Right? And they're ridiculing him. You know, you may be ridiculed. People may people may call you um, the preacher in work. People may call you a Bible basher. People may have all kinds of names for you and may put you down because of your faith. That's okay. That's part of the deal. Listen, everybody in this room who's been saved and born again and walking with God, you've found at some stage somebody's turned on you because of your faith. It's just the way it goes. You know, at first everybody may be thrilled that you've turned to the corner and you're going in a different direction. But you know what? Sooner or later they get around uh, to being upset with you because you're a believer. And you've got to expect that. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're kind of blindsided by it and we don't expect it. No, listen, they are going to go after you because of your faith. That's just reality. At some stage it's going to happen to you. Reckon on it. Understand it. But understand this too. You can't retaliate. Instead of Jesus, that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he, when he was threatened, uh, he didn't return it. That Jesus didn't actually return it. What he did was he absorbed it. He didn't pass it on. And what he did was he drew on the grace of God to do it. And you've got to draw on the grace of God. You are going to be persecuted. Now you wish I didn't say that, didn't you? But the Bible says you're going to be uh, persecuted. I'd be lying to you if I told you you were going to have a nice, easy life as a Christian. You're going to be persecuted. That's going to happen in your life. You know, it may never go to the extent where you lose your life or are in danger of losing your life. But you're going to be persecuted. And what you've got to do is you've got to understand God is in it. It's okay. 
And you've got to trust Him and walk with Him in it. All right? So there's the test of persecution. Um, I, I should read you this. John Bunyan uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And John Bunyan was a nonconformist. Right, so here's basically John. John Bunyan wouldn't take a, take a license from the Church of England. He thought the Church of England was, you know, was um, uh, was not a proper church. Uh, they had improper doctrine, and he, he wouldn't take a license from them. He wouldn't seek a license from them. So he spent most of his ministry in prison, on the head of it. And he wrote in prison. He wrote uh, Pilgrim's uh, Progress, but he said this. He said, Therefore I bind these lies and slanderous accusations to my person as an ornament. It belongs to my Christian profession to be vilified, slandered, reproached, and reviled. And since all this is nothing but that, as God and my conscience testify, I rejoice in being reproached for Christ's sake. Now, that's, you don't say that glibly when you've spent years in prison for doing nothing wrong. But that's the attitude believers need to have. We need to understand there's a test of persecution. We will be persecuted, right? Then there's the test of temptation. Look at 39 verses 1 through 17. And we should read it. Joseph was brought down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and uh, he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, what does that tell you about Joseph? Joseph is a slave. His brothers have sold him. They've sold him into slavery. He's been taken down to Egypt. He's been sold as a slave. How would you feel? He's 17 years old. How are you going to feel? Anybody in this room who's 17 years old? Hold your hand up there. You're 17 years old. Anybody? Even if we did, they wouldn't put their hand up right now. Um, how would you feel? You're, you're, you're sold into slavery. Hi. Hi. Betrayed. Definitely betrayed by your brothers. Right? In fact, I mean, it's, it's, it's a rotten kind of betrayal. But what else would you be feeling? Bitter. Angry. Bitter. What kind of thoughts would be going through your head? Bitter thoughts would be going through your head. How many have you? Have, how many of you have seen Ben Hur? You see the film Ben Hur, right? It's a, it's a film worth watching, by the way. <clears throat> but <clears throat> Ben Hur, basically, uh, his friend betrays him, and he ends up. Uh, he's a wealthy guy. He ends up uh, becoming an oarsman in a galley, right? A slave. And <clears throat> do you know what keeps him alive through the years? Bitterness. I'm going to get even. I'm going to fix that guy. I am going to someday get even with that guy. And he's living for the revenge. Right? Now, look, it's wrong, but it's very reasonable. Isn't it? It's wrong, but very reasonable for somebody uh, to live like that. Now, Joseph could have lived like that. I'll get those guys. It's the last thing I do. I will get them. 
He could have spent his time dreaming and scheming of ways that he would get even with those guys. But you know what? He couldn't have done that and had the blessing of God upon his life. He couldn't have done that and had God prosper him. Because that's wickedness. He wasn't going to get away with that one. And you know what? We know he didn't because, see what it says? Um, And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. God's blessing was upon Joseph in captivity. Now, let me say this to you too, and always remember this, that even in the hard times, God can bless. God can bless in difficult days just the same as he can bless in, in, in good days. I mean, Israel got kicked out of the land, but God told them. In Jeremiah, go with them, do what you're told. Um, you know, you're going to be, you're going to go into captivity, but it'll be okay. You know, you'll get, you'll get houses, you'll get land, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get food, you'll be fine. Just go with them and it'll be okay. And they wouldn't do it because they wanted to be free and do their own thing. But God can bless even in the hard times. Joseph is being blessed in the hard time. And so we know, listen, he, he can't be bitter at this stage. <clears throat> Something's going on for this boy. And look, you know, really, you know, we've we, we got a few chapters here uh, that describe the life of Joseph. But in all honesty, you can actually expand it, except God hasn't told us, because there's a whole lot more going on than we're actually seeing, as far as Joseph is concerned, right? <clears throat> Um, verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all that he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Right now, <clears throat> look in verse 6, He was a goodly person and well-favored. Listen, Joseph was handsome. He was good-looking. <clears throat> and um, not only was he handsome and good-looking, but he had a wonderful spirit about him. Joseph was a very attractive young man. And remember, this is an immoral day. Uh, This is obviously an immoral woman. And she sees Joseph, and he's around the house, and he's doing well, and she likes him. She's interested. And she's making it known. She's making it known that she's interested, that she wants something going on here, right? But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he had into my hand. There is none greater in the house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house uh, there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, she was fled forth, uh, and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. Now, isn't that a bit kind of rich? Why was she holding on to his garment if he was running away from her? What was she up to here? If she was afraid of him, she wasn't going to be holding on to his garment. That's besides the point. That's just a bit bit rich as far as the story is concerned, right? (coughs) 
And she laid up his garment by her until her Lord came, her, his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment and with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant unto me, that his master's wrath was king, kindled. And Joseph master, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's look here at the test of temptation. <clears throat> your influence uh, is not about your position on a flow chart. Right? Your title is not your influence. Understand that. That you can have a title but very little influence. There are people with titles that, that don't have influence. It's about your spirit and the hand of God upon you. Joseph's title at this time is what? Slave. <laughs> he has influence, though. Why does he have influence? He has influence because he has a good spirit, and he has the hand of God upon him. God's hand is on Joseph. It's very evident. Right? <clears throat> the key to successful leadership today uh, is influence, not authority. That it's influence, the ability to influence people. Now, how does Joseph go through this test of temptation and have influence? Look, first of all, he runs from temptation. He just he just ran. He took off running from it. Now, do you think that Joseph sat when she was saying to him, come lie with me, and decided, I wonder, should I? Guys, that's not the time to make your mind up. That is not the time to start thinking about it, whether you're going to do it or not, and make your mind up. I mean, he was being offered whatever he wanted on a plate here. He had had to have something in him beforehand. There had to be some standards, there had to be some bulwarks built into his life that were going to protect him at this stage. Joseph had to put something into his life to protect him. Right? Um, he refused. First Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Joseph had set boundaries in his life. Now, folks, I realize we get a lot of criticism as far as standards are concerned. Right? And standards that are standards for, for, for the sake of it, you know, are, you know, are really not helpful. And standards that appeal to our self-righteousness don't help us. But standards that help me not to do wrong are good things. You get a standard that's locked into a biblical um, position and you hold on to it. In fact, it's very important for you that you have standards in your life. It's important that you have certain things that you won't do in your life. Joseph had a standard. Right? And if we want to look at it as more basic, at its most basic, Joseph said, I don't sleep with other, women's, other men's wives. He had a standard in his life that was set, that was built into his life that he just wasn't going to do. So he had that standard set into his life. And in the day of temptation, it was there for him. Now look, <clears throat> we have got to set boundaries in our lives. We've got to set boundaries in the area of relationships. We've got to set boundaries in the area of media. We've got to set boundaries uh, in the area of substances. We've got to set boundaries in our lives. That's a good thing for you to have boundaries. It's a good thing for you to dig in in certain areas and say, I won't be doing that. I have no, no intention of doing that. And to dig in and put a boundary down in your life. To have a standard in your life. 
I don't go to pubs because I don't want to be around alcohol. For you to put in standards in your life. Because if you don't put in standards, if you don't put in boundaries, if you fly by the seat of your pants, so to speak, and say, I'll be fine on the day, you'll find you're not very fine on the day. Listen, if you've had a problem with drugs or with alcohol in your life, and you sit around booze for long enough, what's going to happen? You're going to drink some. That's just the way it is. You know, evil communications corrupt good manners. What happens is if I'm going to be around it, if I'm going to be influenced, I've got people who are doing wrong, constantly chirping in my ear and saying, come on, there's no problem, do it. You know what's going to happen? I'm probably going to do it. I need to have some standards in my life as far as those things are concerned. You need to put some boundaries in your life because if you don't put boundaries in your life, if you don't have purposed in your heart certain things that you will not do and certain things that you are going to do, what's going to happen is you're going to get broadsided someday. And you know what happens when you get broadsided? You lose your influence. You lose your influence. So he set boundaries. He was God conscious. He was conscious of God all the time. Joseph was aware. He said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? Isn't that interesting? He wasn't going to do Potiphar wrong and he wasn't going to do wrong before God. He was very conscious of God. He was very conscious of what was right before God. He wasn't going to do wrong in either of those things. Um, So Joseph had boundaries in his life. Uh, He was God conscious. But also, Joseph runs with identification is the word there, right? See, See what it says there in Hebrews. It's written for you there. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So, do you know what Moses did? Moses identified himself with God's people. Moses knew he was part of them, he was one of them. Joseph identified himself with God. Now, you know, here's the deal in your life. You need to identify yourself with God. Listen, the day you got baptized, you went into the waters of baptism and you came out, what you were doing was you were identifying yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were saying, hey, everybody, I'm a Christian. Now listen, living that identification, living with the idea in your mind and in your heart that I'm Christ. You know, Mrs. O will sometimes say to the kids, "Uh, remember who you are. And she said it to some of you at different times too. That's that's pretty important. Remember who you are. Who are you? Well, I'm a child of God. I, I belong to Him. I'm His. And keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. You know, last week we looked at let your motivation be known to all all men. The Lord is at hand. Remember the fact that God's at hand. God's here. That changes everything. I belong to Him. I'm His child. If I'm going to have influence, I'm going to have to remember that. I'm going to have to remember that. That's important. You need to remember that, listen, you are His. 
Look at Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 there on the left side of the sheet. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We're supposed to glory in him. I belong to him. That's supposed to be the guiding principle of our lives. I belong to Him. I'm His. I live for Him. I walk with Him. I am His. Joseph knew that he was identified. Identification and influence. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. You know, what would have happened amongst the servants if Joseph had actually given in here? You know what? He wouldn't have had the influence he had anymore. Do you know every time we give in, we lose influence with somebody? Every time you, every time we give in, every time you know, uh, you, you blow it and you get angry, you lose influence with somebody. Every time you know you watch something you shouldn't watch, you lose influence with somebody. You see, people watch you and read Christ about you. And when we do wrong, we lose influence. Listen, <clears throat> Tiger Woods, you know, <clears throat> was the um, the man, wasn't he? Just 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 a couple of years ago, he had tremendous influence. He was held up as the uh, the golden boy, uh, and he was, uh, you know, somebody with tremendous influence. So much influence that the advertisers were willing to pay a fortune to have Tiger Woods associated with their product. And then. It was revealed that he was living a double life. And you know what happened? He lost influence on a grand scale. It can happen to us. We can lose influence. And you know, our influence is one of the most precious things that we have. And we can lose it. It's something we need to protect ourselves against. Um, Look, listen, identify with your Savior. Listen, let everybody know you belong to Jesus. From the word go, it'll get you in a lot of trouble, but it'll save you from a whole lot more trouble. Right? Identify with your spouse. Wear a ring. Identify with your spouse. You're married. Wear a ring. Um, identify with true doctrine. Don't be in the place where, you know, you're just kind of uh, whatever. No, listen, mark your identity. You know, the one thing about you identifying your doctrine and saying, here's what I stand for, is people kind of leave you alone. They say, okay, well, there's no point in going after him. You know, it gives you a lot of peace when you decide what you believe and you nail it down. Identify with godly friends. Have godly friends in your life. And you see, what you need to do is understand that in order for you to protect your influence, you're going to have to stand the test of temptation. And you don't stand the test of temptation in the moment of temptation. You stand the test of temptation in what you've done to prepare your heart for temptation. Remember Daniel? Daniel is a byword. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And you know what? When it came to defiling himself, Daniel didn't defile himself. We need a purpose in our hearts that we're not going to defile ourselves. Purpose in our hearts that we're going to do right because if we don't, we'll end up getting hurt and we end up losing influence. We end up losing the ability to influence others for good, to do right. 
Right? Then there's the test of suffering. Look at Genesis 39, verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisons were bound, and he was there in the prison. Right? <clears throat> Listen, that was hard. Right? Yeah. You ever have those moments in your life, you know, when things have been bad? You know, and you say, things can't get any worse. And then they do. You know, listen, it was bad enough to start off with, and then they got worse, and you feel like, oh, no, now, listen, it's over, it's finished. That's Joseph. He's a slave. Okay, all right, I'm a slave. I got, I'm, I'm just going to, this is where God has me. I'm going to reckon I'm God being in it, and, and I'm going to do right as a slave. I'm going to live as a slave and do right as a slave. And then he ends up in prison. That's just not on. That's not fair. That's not right. <clears throat> but there's a test involved from here. Now, you and I know <clears throat> what was happening to, to Joseph and, and what it meant, but Joseph didn't. Joseph never read Genesis. That was written much after him. He didn't have the opportunity of reading it. So Joseph had to be Genesis. He had to kind of live it out. And he had to live it out with God in the picture. Um, Joseph suffered on the, on the last page there. Joseph suffered willingly. God was with him, and God was merciful. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Listen, Joseph went into the prison and he prospered again. He overcame the temptation to be bitter and he prospered again. He moved on again. And um, God is able to bless you in your troubles. Don't ever feel, oh, this is it. God's done with me. I'm out the door. God's able to bless you in your troubles. If you'll do right and let God have his way in your life, God can bless you even in your troubles, even in your difficulties. Um, it's a quiet of a man that, of a man that he be found faithful, not successful. <clears throat> and we're supposed to be faithful to God, no matter what's thrown at us, no matter what comes our way. Joseph also waited patiently. Uh, <clears throat> there's no power on earth that can neutralize the influence of a high, simple, and useful life. You know, Joseph decided, listen, I'm going to walk with God. And I'm going to be useful. And God was able to take that and use that. You know, there's Joseph in the prison, and he's he's got these delays, right? <clears throat> you know, so... Remember when the butler and the baker came in? And Joseph interpreted for them, and he said to the butler, now, won't you remember me when you get back to Pharaoh? Because, listen, all the butler had to do was say, Pharaoh, you know what, I met a guy in the, in, in the prison, and, man, he can interpret dreams. He's somebody you should have around. All he had to do was just whisper that. And Pharaoh had the power to have Joseph lifted out of prison. But you know what happened to the butler? He forgot all about Joseph. His problem was fixed and he couldn't think of anybody else's problem. You know, so he forgot about Joseph. And, you know, again, that puts Joseph in the place where he has to wait. But there's a test in Joseph's suffering here. He's got to suffer. He's got to wait. He's got to do it patiently. Um, God's delays are not God's denials. When God says wait, that doesn't mean he's saying no. He normally says wait for longer than we're comfortable with. But it doesn't mean that he's saying no. When God says wait, what it means is, wait, leave this one with me. 
That's what Joseph had to endure. He had to endure waiting on God. Um, quote, never doubt in the night what God gives you in the light. And by the way, you need to take that one to heart. And don't undo in the dark what God has done in your heart in the light. Oftentimes we do. You know, it's, it's difficult, you're, you're suffering, you're waiting, God doesn't seem to be moving, nothing seems to be happening. And so what you do is you cut and run. And you blow it. You miss what God had for you. You miss what God was going to do in your life. Listen, if you made decisions when the Spirit of God was moving in your heart, and listen, you were walking close to God and you knew this was the right decision, don't change that decision when you're not close to God. That's foolishness. That's not good for you. Don't do that one. Listen, you hold on to that decision until God gives you more light to move in a different direction. But don't change just because it's dark. And then finally, there's the test of prosperity. Um, He was prospered by God. He was lifted from the dungeon. He became second in command to Pharaoh. Uh, Listen, he, he had a great life. But you know what? Prosperity comes with its own dangers. You look at the people in our world who are prosperous. The people in our world who are, we might say, blessed because all the money comes from God in the end. You know what happens? Rapidly, they lose themselves in it. They forget themselves. Tiger Woods didn't pass the test of prosperity, did he? He thought he was above the rules. He thought he he could run by his own book. He could do his own thing. And you know, we've got to be careful that when the test of prosperity comes, when we're blessed... When things are going well for us, that we don't lose it. That we still walk close to God. Um, uh, He was prospered by God. He understood his prosperity. You see, Joseph is going to come to understand what God was doing. Look at Genesis 45, verses 3 through 5. Okay, the boys have finally come. They've come for the second time, and Joseph has revealed himself. Uh, And Joseph said unto his brethren... I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Wouldn't you be if you were them? Wouldn't you be troubled at Joseph's presence? Because I'll tell you what, if it had been any of the other brothers, the story would have been a whole lot different that day. They knew themselves, and they thought, "Uh uh-oh, I know what he's going to do now. And they reckoned what Joseph would do. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hitherto, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph understood what was happening. You know what? Joseph wasn't elevated because he was a great guy. Joseph wasn't elevated because he was the man. Joseph was elevated because God had a purpose in Joseph's life. And the testing and the trials that God had put Joseph through brought him to the place where he could actually be used of God. But you know what? When Joseph was used of God, the testing and the trials he had been through stood to him because they had made him the man that he was now. They had made him a man that God could use. They had made him the kind of man that God could trust to be in that position. And you see, when you go through the trials and the difficulties and the sufferings and the temptations and all the rest of it, understand, listen, God's making you. He's doing a work. God's a sculptor. He's trying to knock everything off you that doesn't look like Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. 
And as he does that, you know what? It gets better for you. You see, the reason God doesn't put you on the throne uh, beside Pharaoh is because he'd blow it. And so would I. That's why God doesn't do it. What God does is God takes us and God shapes us and God molds us and God makes us and God breaks us and God reveals us to ourselves and then he takes and he uses us. But we've got to understand that when he uses us, it's not you, it's not me, it's him. It's his power. He understood. He understood God's purpose. He understood what God was doing. God had preserved Joseph so that Joseph could preserve a whole nation. There was nothing for Joseph to glory in about himself. God had done it all. And we need to understand that, that when we are blessed by God, that it's all of Him. That it's all of God, that it's not of me. I'm not going to earn it. I'm not going to be worthy of it. It's God's working in my life. And you know what? Now Joseph's in the place where he's got influence. But you know what? He's had influence all along. He's influenced people all along. But now his influence is magnified. And he is going to have influence. He's going to have enough influence to get Israel set up in the best places in in Egypt. You know, his, his power is going to protect this nation that God's going to grow and use. God's able to use a man like that, and he has tremendous influence. And uh, But he didn't get it. It didn't just fall out of the sky for him. He went through the testing to actually get it, and he came to the place where he had influence. How are we doing tonight? How are we doing as far as our influence is concerned? I'm not asking you, are you perfect? Because you're not. <clears throat> um The Bible doesn't record any of Joseph's failures. But you know what? We know our failures, don't we? We know that we're not perfect. We know that we get it wrong. But how are you doing as far as your influence is concerned? Are you growing? Are you putting stuff behind you and moving on? Are you learning to do right? Are you learning to walk with God? Are you seeing His power changing you? and developing you into Christ-likeness so that you can influence others and you can be a help and a blessing to them. Are you seeing that in your Because that's what God wants for you. You know, <clears throat> Joseph is an example for us. Joseph is an example of what God wants to do in our lives. And if we'll let God, and if we'll reckon on, listen, how important it is that we should have influence. And if we'll protect it, and if we'll watch over it, and if we'll, if we'll value it, and if we'll spend our time in the right areas with it, you know what? You could leave a tremendous influence upon this world. You could leave this earth having impacted much for him and for his cause. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We ask your blessing upon us now, Lord. Would you help us to be good stewards of the influence you've given us? Lord, may we be careful of it. May we watch over it, Lord. Uh, Lord, may we bear the cost of it, Lord. And may we walk with you and know your hand and your blessing. And Lord, may we leave behind each one of us, Lord, a mark upon the world uh, because we've influenced others to love you and walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.